Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. The first word in there is the word therefore, which means that everything that we've just read through First Corinthians chapter 3 is the basis for him making this statement. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. The first half of this passage, verses 1 through 6, summarizes what we studied in chapter 3. We do not handle the word of God for profit, for financial gain, but sincerely and without losing heart, we sincerely minister the gospel message of reconciliation to those who have been blinded by the gods of this age so that the veil of unbelief and fear may be resolved, that they may turn, repent, and see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and subsequently be transformed into the image of Christ in ever-increasing glory. That's what we spent some time these past few weeks going through and learning and, and just meditating on that. But that's what, that's what in these first six verses Paul is essentially summarizing. He's saying this is the ministry that we have. This is the glory of God that is revealed. This is how the veil can be removed. Verses 7 to 12 then present an apt picture of the nature of our lives on earth. We have the treasure of the knowledge of the glory of God and the actual manifest presence of our glorious God in these human bodies in these jars of clay. 
That's what the Bible is telling us. That the actual glory of God, the presence of God, the word of God, the truth of God, the spirit of God indwells us. These jars of clay. In these jars, jars of clay. Now in his commentary on 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Kent Hughes describes clay jars as being used in everyday life in the ancient Near East to store and transport water, olive oil, wine, and even family treasures. These things would be, you know, the clay jars would be used for those purposes. The clay jars were used for cooking, eating, drinking, and storing leftovers. They could break very easily, but they were relatively cheap and easy to replace. In Isaiah chapter 64 verse 8 and in Lamentations chapter 4 verse 2, among other scriptures, we read that we are like clay in the potter's hands, in God's hands. And so the metaphor that Paul is using here for us is that as jars of clay, as useful as we may be to the master, we live our lives on earth as frail, weak, transitory mortals. So the question is, why would God compare us to jars of clay? And why would he put his treasure in jars of clay versus a treasure chest? Right? Isn't that where you would expect a treasure to be? In a treasure chest? Beautiful looking? Why put this treasure of God in jars of clay? Verse 7 makes it very clear. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. That's the reason. The specific details of the metaphor are not the focus. What do clay, you know, what, do the, what does it mean if the clay pot is shattered? What happens to this one? That's how does the clay that is the, on the potter's wheel, how does it used for purposes? That's not the focus of the metaphor as such. As we've already seen, Paul's goal is, when he makes these metaphors, is to emphasize the contrast of God's greater glory with everything else. God's glory, God's truth is so much better so different, so high, that in comparison, it is saying God has chosen to store his incomparably rich treasure in the cheapest type of vessel. vessel. God has chosen to store his incomparably great power in the weakest type of vessel. And so the contrast is meant to show you that this is the glory of God. If we were vessels, if we were bodies that were somewhat glorious, then we would say, yeah, 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 we are glorious. God's glory is a little bit more, but, you know, we are glorious too. But God says no. The contrast, the truth that I want you to understand is that my glory, my power, my truth, my everything is so much in contrast with who you are. That it's like you're in jars of clay and I've chosen to put my treasure in it. Oh, that makes it special. Then we say, oh, it's not us. There is nothing for us to boast about. There is no power of our own. There is no accomplishment of our own that we can stand on and say, it was me. It is all 
about the glory of God, no glory of our own. It is all about Jesus. As Kent Hughes puts it again in his commentary, this is not a casual admission. This is Christian realism. This is not false humility. This is Christian realism. Christians are never powerful in themselves, but are only vessels in which God's power is exhibited. Our utter frailty and weakness provide the ground for God's power. The weaker you are, the more clearly God's power is manifest. Because then when people look at you, they'll say, oh, I know it's not you. Right? The weaker we are, in our weakness, his strength is made whole. And so it is God who empowers us to live our lives here on earth. So what is the nature of our lives on earth? You know, once you think about it and you say, well, yeah, jars of clay. But God has put his treasure in these jars of clay. So must be our lives are great. Our lives are phenomenal. Right? Be a Christian and everything will be great. Well, the nature of our lives on earth, when we were studying 1 Corinthians, we finished the book of 1 Corinthians fairly recently, but when we were studying 1 Corinthians, we read in chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation or testing has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. Jesus himself faced all the testing. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted or tested, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That verse in 1 Corinthians 10 was in the context of not giving in to temptations, to not disobey God in sexual immorality or idolatry, and to exercise restraint and godly versus self-indulgent freedom. That's the context in 1 Corinthians 10. But the principle, the principle that God knows what we can bear. He knows what we are made of. He knows what's going on in our heads. He knows what is troubling us. He knows what our physical bodies are able to endure. And that even though he knows it and he enables us to endure hardship, and or he rescues us when we are when it's necessary he pulls us out when he knows that we are not able to bear something that principle is what we need to keep in mind as we consider here this passage second corinthians chapter 4 verses 8 through 9 to understand the nature of our lives on earth as jars of clay what is our nature we are Hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And I want to spend a few more minutes in that because this is our daily life. And if you are going through any one of these situations, you need to hear this word this morning. You see, when you're hard-pressed, it is like you're being squeezed. And... It's very interesting that the Bible doesn't say you'll be hard-pressed in one area of your life. It says you'll be hard-pressed on every side. Not the majority, not just, you know, the most difficult ones or the ones that you can handle. 
You will be hard-pressed on every side. Have you encountered this? You know, have you gone through life where one day something happens at work, something happens in the home, something happens to your pet, something happens to your car, something happens to your loved one who's far away, something happens on the way to work, on the car, I mean on the road, something's going, everything seems to be hard-pressing you, squeezing you in every area, and you're going, oh God, what do I do? How do I manage? How do I handle this? Just as you're dealing with one thing, here comes another. And just as you start to deal with that, here comes another. And you feel hard-pressed, squeezed on every side. But what's the next part of that? Hard-pressed, but not crushed. Hard-pressed, but not crushed. You will feel this pressure. It's not, it's not imaginary. It's not that the, the, the Lord says, go through life, everything will be great. You will never have any pressure. You will never have any stress. You will never have any problems. You'll be good. No, he says, you will be hard-pressed on every side. You know? You think you're doing pretty well right now? Everything's going smooth. Oh, let me promise you, you'll be hard-pressed. You'll be hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. Because the Lord knows what you can bear. The Lord knows what this squeezing needs to do. The Lord knows that there is something that needs to be yielded from your life. The Lord knows that you need to handle this pressure. And the Lord knows that in handling this pressure, you will learn, you will understand, you will grow, you will mature, you will be disciplined. If there's no pressure at all, you have no idea what you can endure. When people work out, they don't do it with weights that are light. They do it with heavy weights. You know why? Because they have to push to see how much they can endure. And they strain the muscle. They push that way to say, this is how I will grow stronger. Hard pressed on every side. You think you're doing really well in the area of discipline. I get up every day at the same time, I eat my meals at the same time, I exercise, I do things. And all of a sudden, something goes wrong in that. Some break happens, something happens, something to your body. What will you do? Will you say, oh, everything's gone? Or will you say, no, I will trust my God. I will look to Him. Because He will not crush me. He will not allow me to be crushed. He will allow me to be squeezed but he will not allow me to be crushed. Oh, I can say more about this. But you know, you can, as, even as I'm saying this, you are already remembering examples in your mind where you've been hard, cr pressed, crushed. Uh, pardon me, squeezed, but not crushed. You know it. But you know, the next phrase is, we are perplexed, but not in despair. You know what being perplexed means? You have no idea what's going on. You're perplexed. You're like, I don't know. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't know why it's happening at this time. And when you're perplexed, you're saying, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know. Here's the situation that has come at me. This is not just hard squeezing. I know when it's hard squeezing and hard you know, press, pressure, I know what's happening. But when I'm perplexed, I don't even know. I'm not sure why this is happening. I'm at, I'm at a loss. I am just 
bewildered. But I'm not in despair. You know what happens in the world around us and for most of us in our circumstances? When we don't know what to do, when we don't know why something is happening, when we don't know how to take the next step, when we don't know who to listen to, we despair. And the Bible, is, it's, it's not saying you should never despair or you may never despair. Paul says, I despaired even of life. He says, I was so pressed. I despaired even of life. I was just ready to give up. I was praying in the night and saying, Lord, take my life. It's enough. You'll see many of the prophets did that. They despaired. They said, you know, this is too much. I can't handle it. I don't know what to do. I am perplexed. But the Lord says, I will be the one who is there so that you do not give up. You do not despair. You do not remain in that depression, in that loss, in that sense of just everything is a mess. This is not even where you're saying, oh, okay, the pressure, I'll deal with this, I'll, deal with, I'll go forward, I know this, I'll take the step. No, you're saying, I don't know what to do, Lord. I don't know what to do, but I will trust in you. We sang earlier, all my life you have been faithful. We come back to those truths. We rehearse those truths. We say to the Lord, we thank you, Lord, that it doesn't matter whether I am 10 years old or 50 years old or 90 years old, all my life. You have been faithful. And so I will not despair. I will look to you. I will be confident in my God. And then the next phrase says, we are persecuted. We are persecuted. We just talked about praying for the persecuted church around the world. The, the Bible does not say you will not be persecuted. You become a Christian, you will have a great life. Nobody will say anything against you. Nobody will try to oppose you. Nobody will question you. No. It says you will be persecuted. In this life, in these jars of clay, you will be persecuted. But you know when you are persecuted, when it seems like everybody is against you, when it seems like there's no one to stand with you, what is the promise of the Lord? Persecuted, but not abandoned. What's the promise of the Lord? I will be with you. You know when you're abandoned is when you're alone. Nobody's there with you. But when you think that no one stands with you, the Lord says, I am with you. You are not abandoned. You are not alone. You're not facing this situation and this persecution by yourself. When Jesus went to the cross, nobody was there with him. His disciples that he had invested and prayed for, labored for, discipled, taught, done all that he could for them, abandoned him. They deserted him. They denied him. And yet, it is very, very clear that the Lord, our God, Yahweh, had not abandoned him. And so we come to the Lord and we say, Lord God, I thank you that I may be persecuted but I'm not abandoned. That's what we hold on to. That's what we come back to. That's what we would look to. And then that last phrase says, struck down. 
This is implying to even use a weapon. The Bible says no weapon formed against you but will prosper. But the weapons can strike you down. There will be times when you feel attacked and not just persecuted, not just something mild, not just squeezed, but struck down. You will feel that you have been knocked down. And yet the promise of the Lord is struck down, but not destroyed. You know, the Christians that were persecuted and then ultimately put into the Colosseum to be fed to the lions or to die at the sword of a gladiator. They were struck down and as far as the world was concerned, they were destroyed. But the Lord says, you may be struck down in the ways of the world or in the eyes of the world, but you are not destroyed. You are not destroyed. What promises? What word? You could spend your whole next week in your quiet times on just these two verses. Every day just praying through this and saying, Oh Lord God, I thank you that I'm not crushed. I thank you that I'm not in despair. I thank you that I'm not abandoned. I thank you that I'm not destroyed. And every day, Lord, as I go about my everyday activities, when all the pressures come, when all the things come against me, I keep coming back to your word. I keep remembering your word. I keep standing on your word. And I thank you, Lord, that even though I'm in this jar of clay, oh, you are with me. Jesus manifested each of these truths in his time on earth, and particularly in his death. Every one of these truths, every one of these statements that Paul makes, Jesus experienced. He is the Lord who knows what we're going through. He is the Lord who knows what the circumstances of our life are. And we have this opportunity to come to him and to say, Lord God, I trust in you. I trust in you. You know, when comic book superheroes discover their calling as a superhero, they typically receive some special superpower. They can hurl thunderbolts from their hands. They'll shoot lasers from their eyes. When we are called as the children of God and are filled with the Holy Spirit, we're given the treasure of the knowledge of God in these jars of clay. We don't receive a superpower of our own. We can't go about doing something. It's not us. We merely become carriers of the Supreme One who is all powerful. We do receive supernatural calling, gifting, wisdom, and fruit. But we're not receiving glory and power for ourselves, even as we continue in these jars of clay. So when our lives on earth are done, when these jars of clay are finally so broken that they are no longer able to continue, no longer useful in this world as such, we experience the ultimate realization of the power that is resident in us. Because you see, the power of God that is put into us, the treasure that has been placed into us, the purpose of this power was not so that we could live forever on this earth. The purpose of this power of God was so that we would be changed into his image to live eternally with him 
The same power that was at work in Christ Jesus to raise him from the dead now is at work in our bodies so that even when these jars of clay are totally, finally, completely done with, we are raised up to new life in Christ Jesus. Oh, what a joy. Oh, what a privilege. So, we respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by revealing, manifesting the life of Jesus in our bodies. You want to live on this earth, in your body, for whatever length of time, you want to do it well, live to manifest the life of Jesus. Not your own glory, not your well-being. By all means, take care of your physical bodies. The Bible asks you to do that. Be good stewards of this resource, this temple of the Holy Spirit, this residence of the Holy Spirit, this place in which God himself dwells. The glory of God himself is manifest. Take care of your body. Do those things that are necessary to honor the Lord in the way that you would live. But it is important to note from verses 10 to 12 that we read here that it is the process of dying that we are subject to. From the moment that we are born, we're in the process of dying. Our human bodies, our frail bodies, our weak bodies, our inexpensive bodies, there's not much chemicals or anything in this body really, right? I mean, if you total up the total worth of this body, it's not much. But all that pales in comparison to the fact that this power of God that is at work in us, this being given over. That's how Paul describes it. He says we are being given over. It's a present continuous. We are being given over to physical death. Death in this earth for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in us. I started out by saying God wants to make that contrast so obvious that people will know this is of God. When we live on this earth in jars of clay, God wants to make his presence, his life, his truth, and ultimately his glory so contrastedly different that people will say, I want this. What would we give them otherwise? Live 80 years, live 90 years, live 100 years, have this much money, live in this kind of a house, drive this kind of a car? Is that what we can offer people? Is that what we can you know, interest them in? Well, somebody will always have something bigger, better, faster, shinier. What we need to tell people is about the love of Jesus, about the life of Jesus, about the presence of the Holy Spirit. What we need to tell people is that when we live in this, in this earth, we will be hard-pressed, but we will not be crushed. We will be perplexed, but we will not be in despair. We will be persecuted, but we will not be abandoned. We will be struck down, but we will not be destroyed because we have the life of Christ in us. This week, take to heart this message. Take to heart this challenge. Spend time with the Lord to say, Lord God, in what area of my life have I been feeling crushed, despairing, abandoned, just destroyed and you're more focused on all of those things than what the Lord is doing in your life you're more focused on all the trouble you're facing 
but go back to the promises of the Lord. Go back to the fact that in all of these situations, as Paul says, therefore, therefore, because we have this treasure in jars of clay, we will not give up. We will persevere. Because we have this treasure of God in jars of clay, we have life. What is the special need that you need to pray for this week, in this way, in this context? Maybe you need to stand in, in the gap. Maybe you need to intercede for somebody. Maybe you need to be used by the Lord to just deliver, to, to bring healing, to bring just freedom to someone. Pray. Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord what you need to do. Ask the Lord how you need to be. Ask the Lord what you need to pay attention to. And let Him glorify His name in and through you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, that we don't look to this life as our everything. We look to life in you, abundant life in Christ as everything. Lord, we don't look to live out a life, long life even, on this earth. We look to be with you for eternity. And so, Lord, no matter how long these jars of clay may last, maybe less than a day, maybe, Lord, even less than a few years, maybe 50 years, maybe 100 years, but ultimately, Lord, we don't put our confidence in these jars of clay. We look to you and we thank you that you take all these pieces, all the clay, and you shape it and use it and mold it. And Lord, you, you perform all that you need in and through us. And you place into us the treasures of God. So that, Lord, your word is lifted up. So that, Lord, your name is glorified. So that, Father, your will is done. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. We worship you. Lord, send us out this week with this confidence that the Lord who has promised these things is with us. We are never abandoned. We are not alone. Lord, even though we're facing all sorts of things on every side, not just a few, on every side we're facing something. Lord God, you are with us. You will show yourself strong and we trust in you. We commit ourselves to you. We ask you, Lord, to build us up, to fill us up, to use us up. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.